Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Today we're talking about a plan. Everybody needs a plan. Tell your neighbor you need a plan. Tell your neighbor you need a good plan. Now, there's all kinds of information you can get, you can glean by reading books. You can read something by John Maxwell. You can read something, uh, some leadership book. You can buy a book on how to strategic plan, strategically plan a business or an organization. But the bottom line is we all need a plan as individuals, okay? We, we need a plan about our personal spiritual development. We need a plan about our physical development. We need a plan for the future. We need a plan for our career. We need a plan for our family. We all need a plan. And, and, and it doesn't matter where you're at in your life cycle, what demographic group you might land in, we all need to have a good plan. Because we've heard the expression, to plan to fail is to, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. So we need a plan and we need to stick to the plan once we find that plan. So I was thinking about it spiritually. What does that mean to have a plan spiritually? How, how can you know if you even have a plan? You can ask yourself some questions. How does the Bible, how does the Holy Spirit, how does my personal surrender, how, how does my commitment to Jesus's bride, the local church, how does my personal spiritual growth and my service to his kingdom, how does that look from God's perspective? Because sometimes we look at each other and we evaluate ourselves based on those around us. Well, old, G old Junior over there, he's a loser, so I'm looking pretty good. Well, that's not our template. That's not our model. That's not our measuring device or our standard. Jesus is. And so spiritually, what does Jesus see in us when he looks at us? That's a scary thought sometimes, you know. And, and so we need to think about our physical needs. Uh, what does my weight, my career, uh, my position, my hobbies, my diet, what do all those say about my relationship with God? You know, because it's all a testimony. Our whole life is a testimony about where we land in alignment with the plan, really, that God has for our lives. We, we need a plan for our family and, uh, and our children and our grandchildren. And we need to plan well about that. And, and I just look over and I see babies in here, man. And it just it warms my heart that, that people bring their babies to church. And just like the family time, uh, the prayer time we're going to have, just pray. It will be uh, for families. And we need a plan. So um, for our children, i gotta, I got to dive into this one a little bit because it's really important because they still have a chance. You know, you got friends in your neighborhood that you've already written off because they will not seem to comply. And so you're like, well, there's no hope for that person. We'll never give up hope. But as people get older and they're separated from God, the chances of them coming to God through Jesus get smaller and smaller and smaller. The window of opportunity. But for children and grandchildren, if we invest in them and point them to Jesus, man, there's a lot of hope. And that is the best time for them to develop that faith that they already have. It's called childlike faith. And, and so sometimes I hear people say things like, well, you know, when I was growing up, uh, my parents made me go to church. And I kind of resented that. So uh, I'm not going to make my children go to church. I, I'm going to let them d to decide on their own. He, I'm going to hurt your feelings, somebody, right? If you say that, that's dumb. Do not say that. Okay, that's foolishness. I'm just telling you, you can be mad at the preacher, find you another church, but take that reality, that truth with you. If you say that, you have, you have so missed, messed up. And let me explain why. Because, because that's the one thing that, that offers them hope in a brutal, dark world. To carry Jesus, to walk with Jesus in this journey. It's the one thing that provides a seal and, and, and a salvation that changes the trajectory of their eternity. It's the one thing that matters absolutely the most in their life and your life. And so why would you not invest in that? Why would you not do something to help move that in the right direction? After all, you make them do other things. I, I made a list. I was thinking about things that I resented. Uh, my parents, I resented a lot of things my parents did. I, uh, when I was growing up, my parents uh, made me brush my teeth every day whether they needed it or not. They made me change my underwear whether they were clean or not. Okay, They made me go to school every day, every day. 
I, you know, my, my parents' rule on school and church was if you miss school or church, you ain't come, you, you're not going to this afternoon decide you're miraculously healed and go outside and play. You're going to lay in that bed sick. Well, you, you, you knew better than to fake. It's better to go to, it was better to go to school and church than to be quarantined to your own room. And, and so they made, me, they made me wear my retainer after I got braces every day. If you had braces, that, 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 you didn't want to wear that thing. They would make you wear it because they had invested in your teeth. All right? Uh, they made me be nice to other people every day. And if I wasn't, I got a whipping. It's about that simple. All right? <clears throat> they made me stay away from alcohol and drugs every day. They made me wait about being sexually active. Okay? They, they made me go to basketball practice every day that they had practice. They made me go to baseball practice every day that we had practice. Uh, they made me deliver my papers on my paper route every day. They made me hug my brothers and tell them that I love them after we fought. There's a good punishment. I'd rather take a beating. Okay? Uh, they made me go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And I'm going to be honest, every, that whole list, I resented all that one day or the other. There was days I didn't want to change underwear. There's days I didn't want to brush my teeth, I didn't want to go to school, deliver the papers, go to practice, or go to church. And at the end of the day, they had a plan, a godly biblical plan. They stuck to it. And today, I have three brothers. All of us are born again, actively serving Jesus in our local churches. My wife, Kendra, was raised in the same kind of family. And she and her sister serve here, actively loving Jesus and living for the Lord. I'm telling you, do not make the mistake of listening to somebody who's uh, obviously educated beyond their intelligence and buy into the idea, let your children make their own decisions when it comes to their faith. They'll ultimately make their decisions, but you have an impact and an influence on the trajectory of which direction they launch in. And where they land, you can't determine. But you can add some coordinates into the trajectory of where they're headed. And so I'll get off the soapbox and we'll go on and have a message. Is that all right? Okay, now, uh, tell your neighbor you need a plan. <clears throat> tell your neighbor, don't be mad at the preacher. Because <clears throat> some of y'all mad, I can see it on your face. Okay, you can't hide that. It's just real. So, we need a plan, and we're going to talk about today. If we're going to learn about a plan, let's just go to the master planner. You say, who's that? It's Jesus. Jesus was, is the creator, was the creator of everything we know. Well, I thought it was God the Father. In the New Testament, we find out Jesus was there, and he was the, he was the craftsman. He was a planner. Jesus now sustains life and sustains existence. That's what we learn in the New Testament. <clears throat> because he's a planner. He's planned it. He works it all together. Okay, not only that, but he's the savior of the world. He has planned an eternity for those who will receive it. He is the master planner. And so in today's story in John chapter 7, we're going to see how we can, five things about our plan, our life plan, our spiritual plan, our physical plan, our family plan, how we can best live out the greatest plan ever. So to get us into the story, let me just read a couple of verses at the beginning of John chapter 7. It says, after this, Jesus traveled throughout Galilee. Now, so after this, after what? He's healed all kinds of people, fed tens of thousands of people on a hillside, walked on water, calmed the storm, pretty cool stuff. All right. Now, he's done this thing, and yet at the end, he invites people to surrender themselves and to follow Jesus fully, and, and a lot of people depart. And it says, so now Jesus stayed out of Judea because the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. If there's a reason to stay out of Judea, this is a good one. They're wanting to kill him. And it says in verse 2, now the Jewish feast of booths or shelters was near. Now, let me explain what that is. In a Jewish life, uh, every year there were several feasts that you would be a part of, like celebrations or parties to remind you of, how, of who you are before God and to remind you of the places that God has journeyed with you through your life. And so the, the feast of tabernacles is the feast of booths. It's the feast of tents. It's the feast of shelters. So here's what would happen. To remind them of the wilderness journey for 40 years, they would go to uh, Jerusalem, and before they got there, they would build these tents, these shelters, like a lean-to. And, and they had to build it of stuff that, that were cut from the ground, limbs, leaves, weeds, bushes, uh, timber. And so they had uh, uh, specifications to where the ceiling was to be open so at night you could look up and see the stars. But if it rained, you'd get wet. Okay, so it was, it was a camp out. It was a nationwide camp out. Now, some of y'all like camping out. 
Later we're going to find out these people were grumbling a lot. I know why they were grumbling. Because they were sleeping on the ground. Okay, they didn't go by Buddy Greg and get a 60-foot RV. They didn't get a 40-foot fifth wheel with pop-outs on the side. They were laying on the ground under a fabricated shelter made out of sticks. Okay, I, I said in the early service, I know Kendra would be fussing if, if she was camping out. I'd be, fussing, I would, I, I'd be fussing too if I'm sleeping on the ground. My body doesn't work like that anymore. Okay, so, so that's what it looked like. These people, oh, excuse me, this thing's flying around right here, and I'm going to catch it right there. Put that devil in my pocket. Now, <clears throat> these people were camping out. It was, it's a nationwide camp out. That's what's going on. Okay? Now, living out the greatest plan. On the back of your worship guide, five points. Here's the first one. The enemy of the greatest plan. I want you to know, anytime you buy into and sink and, and, and invest yourself and lean into God's plan for your life, there's an enemy to that plan. Because, listen, I say it, I want you to get this. Satan is a created existence. He is a created being who began as an angel named Lucifer. He is not a creator. He cannot create anything. Uh, but what he can do, is since he can't hurt God because God's the creator, he wants to hurt the object of God's affection. And I want you to know that's you. It, it, God loves you. Whether you're lost or saved, God still loves you. you. You can't make him not love you anymore. He just does. But there's consequences if you're outside of obedience to that God. So for those of us who, who realize, man, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved, and there's nothing I can do to fix myself, uh, Jesus, you, you came and died in my place. I want you to come in and fix me. I want to give my broken self to your perfect self in exchange, and, 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 and I want you to adopt me into your kingdom. And you're born again. You're saved, and the Holy Spirit marks you and seals you. Now, when that happens, not only did you get the mark of the Holy Spirit. I never said this before. Not only did you get the mark of the Holy Spirit, you got the mark of a target on your life. The enemy automatically hates you more when you're sealed in the Spirit. He, he hates you because you're the object of God's affection and he wants to harm God and the only way he can do it is harm you. So it's important that you have a plan and it's important that you understand with every great plan that comes from God, there, an enemy exists. Now, that enemy often surfaces in a lot of ways, but I want to tell you what I believe is the most common way that the enemy shows up to mess up the greatest plan that God has for your life. It's this word, I want you to write it down, distraction distraction his greatest i believe the greatest tool he has to thwart the greatest plan in your life is distraction now listen to what it says in verse three it says so jesus's brothers now they're going to come into the mix they're going to advise him that's what it says jesus's brothers advised him leave here and go to judea so your disciples may see your miracles that you're performing verse four because no one who seeks to make a reputation for himself does anything in secret if you are doing these things show yourself to the world Verse 5, the motivation. Why would they say something? Why would they say something to him? And is, and is this valuable counsel? Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. Now, <clears throat> so here's what I want you to know. There are people who want to advise your plan. When you get into a plan and you surrender to God's plan for your life, you'll have all kinds of people wanting to give you suggestions in the plan for your life. Now, don't get me wrong. In Proverbs, it says, in good and godly counsel, there is strength and understanding. So, so, so it's important that we listen, but it's also important that we weigh out the motivation behind that counsel. It's also important that we understand if that counsel does not align itself with God's greatest plan for my life, then I'm not going to listen to it because that can derail me from my plan. Now, what does it look like to derail a plan? You've, many of us have done it. I venture to say all of us. It looks like January 1st, all right? Maybe the 3rd, maybe the 7th. What do we do? We make New Year's resolutions. Well, you know, it's a new year. I didn't take care of myself last year. Man, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to work out. I'm going to jog. I'm going to love my wife more, love my kids more, work harder. I'm going to be a better steward with God's money. I'm giving you. You do none of that. Okay, all that fell off the derailed after about three days. You're eating the leftovers because you didn't want to waste them left over from New Year's party. All right, you didn't go to the gym because you over you stayed up all night. I knew you still hadn't got up on your sleep. I mean, everything derails. You see, you know it looks like that. And so, with God's plan, it's important that we avoid the distractions that come into our life. So, how do we do that? Here it is. Ready? You determine God's plan for your life, and then no matter what happens, you stick to the plan. 
You just stick to the plan. When ridicule comes, when opposition comes, when distraction is introduced, you just go back and you say, okay, what is the plan? What's the plan God has for me? Okay, that's it. I thought that was it. Yeah, that's still it. Thank you, God. I'm going to stick to the plan. And you just stay with the plan. Now, his brothers knew him, and they didn't believe. Now, let's just pause there. Imagine for a second. First of all, maybe you thought uh, Semper Virgo. What's that? That means that, Jesus, that Mary was a, a virgin her whole life. Uh, she wasn't a virgin her whole life. She was a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. And, and later, uh, Mary had other children, boys and girls, brothers, half-brothers and half-sisters to Jesus. Why half? Because Jesus, Mary was Jesus' mother. God was Jesus' father. For the rest of his brothers and sisters, Mary was the mother and Joseph was the father. So they're half-brothers and sisters. And now these brothers are going to begin to give him some counsel. They're going to help him out. If you have brothers, raise your hand. Sometimes, would you agree that your brothers would be better off if they dropped the R, the second letter of their name brothers, because they're more bothers than they are brothers? You know what I'm saying? I got three of them. Now, we have great relationships, and I love them, okay? But sometimes they were more of a bother than they were a brother. Well, here's what these guys' brothers are doing. They're going to suggest some ideas. They're going to advise Jesus. Now, if you think about it, we would read right over this. They're going to advise God. Now, doesn't that sound foolish? Okay. Hey, God, I got some ideas. I've been thinking about your whole agenda here. I don't know if you thought about this, but I got some ideas, right? We read right, o- right over that, and yet that's what his brothers are doing. They're going to advise God. Now, if you think that's kind of silly, say, I do. You want to know the rest of the truth? You do it, and I do the same thing. Because God has given us his eternal counsel, his Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. He's told us everything we need to know to live a productive, successful, God-honoring life. And what do we do? We want to debate with him about parts of it. Well, that's more of the buffet part of the Bible, and I'm not crazy about that. So I'm going to walk on by and take this other part. Okay, we do the same thing, and that's what his brothers are doing. Now, keep in mind, they had lived with Jesus as family for over 30 years. What does that look like for Jesus to be in the household and a family member? All right, the mom, Mary comes in. Who broke the lamp? Okay, I'm going to narrow it down. I'm going to narrow it down. Jesus didn't do it. Who broke the lamp? Okay. All right, I'm tired of y'all acting like this, so I had these little bracelets made. Uh, W-W-Y-B-D. What would your brother do? Okay. We're going to wear these, and every time you start to do something, you look down and say, what would your brother do? Okay, and then you do that. That, That's what it looks like. That's what they lived with. And now they're at the crossroads, and they ought to know. They've seen the miracles, and yet they still don't believe, but they have advice. Let me just, this, this 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 is funny and annoying at the same time. Have you ever noticed that some people who have no buy-in to the agenda, to the plan, are often the greatest advisors to the plan? Have you ever had that? From time to time, somebody will come to me and they'll say, oh, Brother Joel, I was going to talk to you. I was going to talk to you about something about the church. I say, yeah, what is it? And they tell me, I say, are you in a life group? Well, no. Are you a giver? No. Do you read your Bible every day? No. They have all this advice, but they're not even bought into the plan of God. Okay? I mean, and, and that's often where it comes from. Somebody who's way out there, away from God's plan, they want to invest in the plan that God has given you in your life. And so we have to be very, very careful of who we listen to. So how does that work? How do we do that? How do we avoid the uh, distraction? We have to learn in our mind to ask a series of questions when we get advice because advice is good. Do not hear me wrong. Counsel is good. Do not hear me wrong. But we have to be careful that the counsel we hear is from the same person who gave us the plan. Because if God's plan, which is the greatest plan, we'll see in a minute, if his plan is real in our life, we need to be careful that somebody else doesn't move us away from the plan. So what do we do? We ask ourselves a series of questions. What is the motivation of this person's counsel or advice? Is it the reputation of themselves or me? Is it prominence before people? Or or are they just trying to control my life, maybe? Or, or, Or maybe your plan that God has given you makes them uncomfortable it doesn't make their life easier and it certainly doesn't make them uh uh, uh, doesn't lift them up to prominence or is the motivation trying to help you be more godly and more in alignment with God's plan for your life 
Now, distractions are very real. I want to show you how real distractions are. I want to show you that I believe, biblically, the greatest tool of the enemy uh, in pulling us away from God's plan and derailing us is distractions. Watch this. It begins in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, there's no word distraction in there. What? Here's a woman talking to a serpent. <laughs> That's distraction. I'm not talking to a snake. Maybe you're one of those people who have a boa constrictor at your house. You need to get saved and make you a belt and a pair of shoes out of that snake. Okay? Okay? Now, you can, you can hate on me for that, and I'll own it. Okay? It's a joke. If you own one, it's okay. Okay? Eve had a friend that was a snake, too. I'll stop right there. Okay, now, distraction. He, right out at the beginning of all of creation, he, is, he uses distraction. What about this one? In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it was the spring at a time when kings go off to war. And David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed, and he walked around the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful, and, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. It's, he got distracted. The enemy distracted him. How do we know this? It says, it says it was the spring when the kings are to go off at war. And he's the king. And he didn't go off at war. He sent a delegate, an ambassador in his place to war. And he stayed back at the palace. He's distracted. And then one night he gets out of bed and he walks out on the, on the porch of his palace. And he looks and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And she's taking a bath. He's distracted. And he goes back in and he inquires about this lady. He's distracted. He invites her to his home. He's distracted. Ultimately, he calls for her husband and has him murdered. He's distracted. The enemy uses distraction to move you away from God's plan for your life. Oh, you said that's Old Testament. Okay, New Testament. Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The people are giving to build the church, the, the, to, to supply and provide for the needs as the church grows. And Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife, they sold a piece of property. And, and they come before a Peter and, and, they, and they put on as if they're giving all of the proceeds of the property. They didn't have to give any of it. But they're acting like they gave it all. And so Peter knows it, and he calls Ananias, uh, the husband, over, and he says, Hey, bro, uh, did you give all the money uh, to, uh, from that property like you said? Or did you hold back? So, oh, no. No, we gave it all. And he says, Why are you lying today? You're, you're not just lying to me or to people. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. This day will cost you your life. And he, bam, he died. They drug him outside. And then his wife comes in, Sapphira. Peter says, hey, Sapphira, come here. Hey, how you doing? Uh, just a question for you. Uh, did, that money, you said you sold that property and gave all the money. Is that, is that what you, really what you did? Oh, yeah, we gave it all. Bam, she dies too. Okay, I'm telling you what's, what can be a beautiful thing in your life. You're on a journey with God, and, and you feel like there's a light, like a beacon shining in front of you that you can walk by. And, and, and all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself over in the bushes not on the path, away from the plan, the amazing plan that God has for your life. Tell your neighbor, the enemy is a liar. Number two is the timing of the greatest plan. This is not my favorite point, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. I started just to, what are you nodding your head about? I'm looking at Kendra right there. She goes, mm-hmm. It's not. So I started just to skip it because if I don't preach on it, it doesn't apply, right? Well, I got to do it. The timing of the greatest plan, point number two. So Jesus replied, my time has not yet arrived, but you are ready at every opportunity. Man, you on G waiting on O at every turn. And it doesn't matter what the outcome is. It doesn't matter what the game plan is. It doesn't matter what the strategic plan of God in my life is. You are ready to go, okay? And he says, my time has not yet arrived. Arrive. Now, I want you to listen. I want you to understand something. There is a time, and there is the time. As, as, as children of God, our goal is to really lean in and try to figure out the difference between a time to do something and the time to do something. Because sometimes a time seems okay, but a time is not the time before the one who controls all time. 
A time is not the time uh, to the one who is writing the plan of your life. And, and I want you to understand something right now. God has you in his plan. Whether you're lost or saved, he has a plan. I, I want you to know that the Bible says before the foundation of the earth, he had a plan for you. He knew you. He numbered you. He named you. He formed you. He fashioned you. He set you on a trajectory where he wanted to change you and adopt you and save you. And he puts us at a place where we get to receive that. He has a plan for your life. And we should let his plan be our plan. And his plan it only works in our life when it's according to the time, the time he set aside. So he says, my time's not yet arrived. Listen to verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it already hates me. Because I'm testifying about, about it that its deeds are evil. He says, you go to the feast yourselves. I'm not going up to this feast because my time has not yet fully arrived. And when he had said this, he remained in Galilee. But then when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus himself also went up, not openly, but in secret. You say, wait a minute, he just said he wasn't going, now he's going. We'll see in a few minutes, it's half over, and then he goes up later, all right? Verse 11, so the Jewish leaders were looking for him at the feast, asking, where is he? And there was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. That's because they've been sleeping on the ground. All right. It says uh, about in the crowds, and some were saying he's a good man, but others he deceives the common people. And so Jesus says, listen, fellas, I, I know you've got some amazing advice. You know, I, I, I know you got it. You got it. And you're trying to help out. But what you don't understand is they don't hate you. They hate me. And one day that hate is going to culminate in the greatest sacrificial gift that the world has ever known. But until that happens, I've got to do what God has planned for me to do. You see, what that looks like in our life is we begin to understand I'm not going to move until God tells me to move. And, and it's really hard for me. I, I, I got a confession. I, I'm not the most patient person in the world, okay? You don't have to amen. You don't have to nod, okay? It's, I, it's, I was born to, to, to move. I, I don't like to sit and stay and wait. That's why I said the other day prayer's hard for me because it kind of requires that I listen and wait and sit still. And I'm a strongest suit. But when it comes to God's plan, it's really important. That we understand he has the time. And the time is not a time. And we need to search for that. And long for that. And listen for that. Let me tell you what, it's, what it feels like most recently. And I think I, I, think I passed the test before God. Uh, several weeks ago, I uh, had a, a meeting with our former uh, worship pastor, worship leader, uh, Joe Hovater. And, and I gave him a list of things <clears throat> that I'd like to see him accomplish in the worship ministry. And it basically was to help him engage more with the people. And it was some things that strategically he could change that I thought would people would buy into more and join him more in. And in the process, uh, he said, okay. He said, okay. Yeah, I, I agree. And then the next day, the next day he came in and he said, uh, yeah, I, that list, it's not me. So Sunday will be my last, uh, last day. And I said, uh, I, I said, oh, okay. Because I'm really trying to stay in the bubble of God's plan. I'm really trying, trying to stay in the bubble of, of obedience of what God wants. And so if somebody leaves the church, I, I don't want anybody to leave church. I want everybody I want everybody to be a part of Sturkey Hills. But God doesn't want everybody to be a part of Sturkey Hills, and so I'm okay with that. So some people come and some people go. Some visit and leave, and, and, and it is what God wants. It, it, God allows that. And so I trust him with that. And so I said, well, okay. And so it, as soon as I, he, I, I uh, loved him away and presented that, he was leaving to the church. It was just, I mean, same day. I'm getting people, hey, what's the plan? <laughs> uh, I didn't know this plan. So I don't really have a plan. You know, you got one? Oh, no. But I mean, the pastor, he's supposed to have a plan. I don't have a plan sometimes. But God's got a plan. And so I said, are we going to start looking for somebody? And nobody weren't like agitated. They were just wondering, are we going to start looking for somebody? And I said, well, right now, I don't really i got to let the dust settle and figure out what's going on because at the time, everybody was leaving. And I thought, you know, I guess I'll have to polish up the old guitar and, you know, we'll sing a few songs ourselves, okay? And it would be terrible, okay? And so, uh, and so I said, I don't know what the plan is, but God knows what the plan is, and I don't know. I'm just going to proceed cautiously. Well, before you know it, one at a time, our worship team said, no, I'm, I'd like to stay. I'd like to stay. And Caleb said, yeah, I'll, I'll lead it, you know, get us, keep us moving forward. And, and I didn't see it coming, quite honestly. I love worship. I loved it before. I love it now. 
And I hope you love it as well. God has a plan. And when we allow his timing, the timing to work out and don't run ahead of him and get outside the bubble of obedience and don't lag behind his timing, he does wonderful things in our midst. Now, let's keep moving. We've got to stick to the plan. Isaiah 40 verse 32, not my favorite verse. It says, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings of eagles and soar. I like the second half of that verse. I like the whole renewing of strength. I I like the idea of strapping some wings on and soaring around the world. But the whole waiting on that, not my favorite thing. And so we have to train and discipline ourselves to do that. Tell your neighbor, his time is always the right time. Number three. There's a demonstration now of the greatest plan. When we understand there's a distraction, and yet then we press on through the distraction, when we, when we press on through the, push back the enemy of the plan, and, and we begin to understand and wait on the timing of the plan, then God demonstrates that there's a plan. Listen to what it says in verse 14. When the feast was half over, Jesus went up to the temple courts and he began to preach. Then the Jewish leaders, man, they were astonished. And they said, how does this man know so much? When, uh, when he has never had formal instruction. Hold on, guys. This, this, this guy was not raised by and taught by Gamaliel, Paul's teacher. He hadn't been hanging out in the synagogue memorizing scripture like the rest of us Hebrew boys. He didn't go to Southern Seminary or Dallas Theological or Piedmont or Liberty. He, he didn't go to school. He has no formal education yet. Listen to him. We're astonished by that. When we stick to the plan, wait for the timing, God will demonstrate his fingerprints on the plan. And it's astonishing. And maybe you're here and you've never felt like God had put his fingerprints or whispered over something that you've pursued for him. I want to tell you, he'll do that. He may be teaching you what he teaches me, and that's patience. But when the time is his time, when it's the time, and man, when we fight back the distractions and push back against the enemy, there will be a moment when all of a sudden something will just flourish and it will be bigger than you ever saw. Because his ways are greater than our ways and his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And there's no way. That's what they say. How can this be? He doesn't have the credentials. That's a good place to be. When when you, when I as pastor, when we as a church go to God and say, I don't know that we can do this. We don't have what it takes. And yet we want to be a part of his plan. That's when he shines the most. Why is that? Because if you can do it on your own, you don't really need him now, do you? If you can accomplish greatness all by yourself, God says, man, that's amazing. I'm quite astonished myself. You don't even need me, and look what you've accomplished. We don't want to be that people. I don't want to be that pastor. I don't want our church to be that church. I want us to all be, to realize God is great, God is big. We are not, and we are small, okay? And as long as we're under that, he will do great things in our midst because he'll know and we'll know that he deserves all of the credit. God has never had a bad plan. God always sticks to his plan, and you just happen to be in it. Now, i, I got to pause right here. I, I want you to really dive into this. I want you to get this. I want you to think of God. God, the one who, apart from him, there is no existence whatsoever. The one who didn't take things and make other things. The one who created ex nihilo, everything out of absolutely nothing. The one who took nothingness and made everythingness. Okay, That God, that God, the one who still is on his throne with a plan. The one who one day will send Jesus back to get his church and to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years and then usher us into heaven for eternity. That God. That God who has planned all of that, and it's all working according to his plan, even when it's broken, it's working according to his plan. That God has a plan. Now listen, he wants to write you. Tell your neighbor, he's talking to you. And, and, and some of y'all thought, i got to say that, he ain't using them. I know, I know him. Okay? 
He wants to write you in his story. Now, there's a word about the Bible that I think is a cool word. It's called meta-narrative. Meta-narrative is the bigger picture, the greater storyline. What God does from his throne, he's working it. Okay, throughout all of eternity, he's working it all together for his glory. And what's cool about that meta-narrative, that great old big umbrella story, we all fall under it. And what he desires to do is to meet us in our lostness, introduce his son Jesus to us. When we receive it, he comes into our life and saves us and seals us and gives us gifts. And then he plugs us in to his meta-narrative. He plugs us into his story so that our life, listen to me, affects the eternal condition of his story. Your life is designed and given from God so that yielded to him, he affects heaven and hell with your life. Now, I know you. You ain't that good. You know me. I'm not that good. And yet God, who is good, chooses to use us in that amazing story. Isn't that cool? That should just excite you, man, to think that you're here for something bigger than waking up every day, doing what you do, going to bed and starting all over again tomorrow. You're here for something greater. So tell your neighbor, just watch and you'll see. And everybody, look, the reason why I had your neighbor say that to you, either they'll watch and see it in their life, or they'll choose not to be a part of God's plan. They'll watch and see it in your life. They'll watch and see it in somebody else's life. And I'm going to tell you, you stick around this church long enough, you're going to watch and see in the life of this church. Now, you can watch and be a spectator, or you can be in the game under God's plan and let other people watch what God does in your life. Whew, that's good. Number four, <clears throat> the source of the greatest plan. The source of the greatest plan. This is the key to the whole thing. And that is to have a plan that's bigger than our own plan. A plan that comes from God. It says now in verse 16, so Jesus replied, My teaching is not from me, but from the one who sent me. You, you want to know where I got my info? Okay, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than your teaching. It's bigger than your seminaries and your synagogues and your schools. It's from God who sent me. He says, if anyone wants to do God's will, he will know about my teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority and then he goes on he says Moses verse 19 hasn't Moses given you the law yet no not not one of you keeps the law why now do you want to kill me Here, here's what he's saying he said listen I don't discredit you priest I, I, I'm not here to condemn you nation of Israel I'm here to introduce to you the second part the next part of God's amazing plan the first part was to give you the law and the prophets, man. And you live by that. And he told you what to do, and you know you can't do it. Jesus is saying, listen, the law was not given. The Old Testament was not given to help you understand just how good you are at being good. The law was given to help you understand you, can't not, you cannot be good. Uh, the, the law was not given to show you how obedient you are. The law was given to show how disobedient you are. And he says, you should know that by now, and that's why I'm here. I'm here because in your disobedience, my perfect obedience can still offer you hope. Jesus is introducing the, the fact that he came not just to walk on water and do cool stuff. Jesus came to die to save them and us from our sinful condition. Why? You ready? Because God has an amazing plan. Amen? Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. Here's a good plan verse for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and future. God has a plan for you. If we will get under his plan, We'll feel his presence and we'll see the results of being in his plan. Philippians 1.6 says, <clears throat> He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you're alive today, I suspect all of you are, uh, and Jesus hasn't come back yet, and I know he hasn't, because if he does, I'm going, okay? He's still working on us. You remember when you were a kid, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. 
I know I'm not the only one who knows that song. Caleb, they sing with you. Why are they not singing with me? Okay, because I'm terrible. All right, confess that. Okay, now here's the thing. That, that little old song is so real, man. He's still working on us. If we're alive and he hadn't come back yet, he, we are still a work in progress. Some of us, a little further along, some of us hadn't moved very far. Okay, but he's working on us. Why? Because he has a plan for us. And, and, and it's a plan to, to prosper and not to be harmed. And the plans with a hope and a future. He's working on us. What about the church? What about us corporately? Jesus said in Matthew 16, I, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why? Because he has a plan. And it's a good plan. Now, now they're astonished. Jesus is teaching and they're astonished. You would think now they'd say, so Jesus, you want to go, like, uh, go to Aubrey's, get some lunch or something? Because you're amazing. It's pretty amazing teaching. Okay. Hey, you want to come over to the house? You know, my wife made fried chicken. It's awesome. You know, we didn't serve pork over there because I know you're Jewish and everything. So we didn't do that. Uh, but, you know, I'd like to hang out with you because you're doing amazing things, right? You think, okay, they're going to embrace him again. And then they say in verse 20, and the crowd then answered, you're possessed by a demon who's trying to kill you. <laughs> there you go. You do great things. You astonish everybody and say, you must have a demon. All right. That's why. You remember when he told his brothers, uh, you guys don't get it. You don't understand the plan I'm on. They, they can't hate you. They already hate me. They're wanting to kill me. Jesus knew because Jesus is God. And it was not, it was not uh, time for his plan to come about. Now, tell your neighbor, it is his plan. Tell your neighbor, that means it is the greatest plan. I want to encourage every single individual person in here to find out what God's plan is for your life. For your life, for your life. Align yourself with that and let God do great things in your life. It doesn't matter if people think you're possessed by a demon if God is happy with you. In fact, if you get really sold out for Jesus, people are going to mock and make fun of you. Oh, yeah, you, you Jesus, you're one of those Bible thumpers. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Okay. I guess I am one. I don't know. Okay, you're one, back in the day when I was younger, you're a, Jesus, you're a Jesus freak. You remember that? DC Talk had a Jesus freak. We may have done that song when we were rock stars. Um, it was terrible. Uh, Jesus freaks. You should be a freak about Jesus. He's a freak about you, you know. You should be sold out for him because he's sold out for you. And, and, and so we got to get that. Number five, and we're finished almost. <laughs> the, com the commitment to... I'm not kidding, okay? The commitment to the greatest plan. Now there has to be a commitment to the greatest plan. Verse 21, Jesus says, uh, I performed one miracle, and you were all amazed. However, because Moses gave you practice of circumcision, not that came from Moses, but from the forefathers, you circumcise a male child on the Sabbath. But if a male child is circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses is not broken, why are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to your external appearance, but judge with proper judgment. Here's what he's saying. He said, listen, I know you don't get it. You didn't get it in the Old Testament. You didn't understand Moses and what he wrote. And you don't get me. And, 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 and I, I get that. But I'm going to press on. I am under a plan who came from the Father. And his plan is an amazing, beautiful plan with enormous results that you could actually be a part of. So you can say what you want. You can accuse me of having a demon. You can, you can talk behind my back and grumble and complain. You can do whatever you want to do. You can, t you can speak in partial truths. You can speak in silence. Behind my I don't care. I am committed to the plan that God has for me. Now, what does that look like biblically? What, what's an example of that? You remember in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, we studied that, where he, he's given the, the responsibility of, of fortifying Jerusalem and building the wall back. And he goes in there, and he's building the wall, and they did it in 28 days. It was an amazing work of God and, and, and an amazing, a miraculous accomplishment. And right in the middle of it, the people around it, the grumblers, complainers, the ones who, who really didn't want them to be fortified, they started making fun of Nehemiah. And, and one day, these guys came in, and Nehemiah's up on the wall, and they say, Hey, Nehemiah, why don't you just come down? We just want to talk to you, man. We just want to talk to you about all this that you're doing, how it's all happening, you know. We'd like to write a manual on how to build a wall. You know, we want you to come down. We'd like to put a, a post on Facebook, you know, let everybody know what the good stuff that's happening. And Nehemiah had the coolest line. He says, uh, I'm doing a good thing here, 
and therefore I cannot come down from this wall. That's what it looks like when you are surrendered and committed to the plan that God has for your life. No matter what distraction, no matter what the grumblers and complainers and the partial truth tellers say, no matter what they say about you, you just say, yeah, I can't come down. I'm, I'm doing a good thing here. I'm doing a good thing. Sometimes the people around you, if they don't get the plan, they'll start talking about you and the plan. And, and there's a Hebrew word for it. It's called yeah, yeah. It's not really Hebrew, but that's what I call it. It's yeah, yeah. They yeah, yeah. They yeah, yeah about you behind your back. Well, how can you dispel that, man? How, how can you give an argument to that and say, listen, that's not true. They're not telling the whole truth. You don't worry about it. I ain't got time for that. And it happens in my life. And I'm sure it happens in your life. You just keep moving forward. You look at that stuff and you say, oh, really? Because you're not careful. Here's the plan. Oh, really? I need to go over here and talk to them about that. Get that fixed. We've derailed from the plan. We do like Nehemiah. <laughs> I don't have time for all of that. Appreciate you coming by. But I'm doing a good thing here. And I can't come down from the wall. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Committed to God and in a time when the nation was, was, was following other gods. Nebuchadnezzar built a golden statue. And they, they, uh, he wrote an edict that said everybody had to bow down and, and worship the statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, now we're not doing that. And so they didn't. And, and so they brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, listen, fellas, I like you guys. I like you a lot. But unless you bow down, we've already written this edict, man. And, and we're going to have to throw you in a furnace. And their answer is, it's, it, you should all memorize this, this passage, this story. They looked at the king who's threatening to kill them. And they said, listen, king, our God can surely save us from your fiery furnace. But here's the line. But even if he don't, even if he don't, we're not going to bow down and worship that idol. That's what it looks like when we're committed to the plan. It doesn't matter what happens. The consequences that people threaten and bring against us, it does not matter. Uh, Paul, they were getting ready to kill the apostle Paul for preaching. They said, you can't preach anymore. We're going to kill you. And, and he says, so you're going to threaten me with heaven. Oh, that's very scary. Okay. He, 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 he says, you're going to threaten me with heaven. He says, listen, to live is Christ. To die, it's gain. It's a win-win. If I'm here, I'm living for Jesus. Huh. If I'm there, I'm living with Jesus. It's a good day. What about Noah? There's a good one. A hundred years, God gave him a plan. A hundred years, they'd get up. His wife would cook him breakfast. His boys sitting around the table. Hey, Dad, what are we doing today? Mm, let me think about it. Build a boat. For a hundred years, okay? People making fun of him. Nobody believing there's going to be a rain. They'd never seen rain. Nobody believed there was a flood. There's not a lake or an ocean. He's just got this big boat out in his backyard. And every day for 100 years, what are we doing today, Dad? Oh, let me pray about it. Oh, I think we'll build a boat. All right. He stuck with it. And then when God's time came and the, and the sky began to burst open and the ground burst open, people saw that God had a bigger plan. What about John, the one who wrote the gospel that we're reading? They, they were so afraid of him and the gospel that he preached and the truth that he shared, they cast him onto an island called the Island of Patmos. That when the world put him there to die, God put him there so he could receive the future. While on an island, a rock island, excluded, the Holy Spirit came down and got him and Ubered him to heaven. All right? He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and he took me to heaven. All right? And he saw heaven. Jesus resurrected. He saw the future. Why? Because John stuck with the plan. God, and, 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 and you don't have to be Noah. You don't have to be John. You don't have to be uh, uh, Nehemiah. You just have to be you. Because before the foundation of the earth, God formed you, fashioned you, knew you, designed you, and laid out a plan that's bigger than you understand. And it's amazing when we get into what God has for us. I want you to bow your heads for just a second. Before we go to the business meeting that we have to have, we get to have, I want you to know something. The God that I'm talking about, he loves you. And you may think there's no way that he could love me. I can empathize with that. 
Because I don't understand there's a way that he could love me. And yet he does. He loves you so much that he came to this earth and gave his life brutally sacrificed on a cross, paying the price for your sinful condition. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving he was God and that he has the power over death, hell, and the grave. And then he offers that to you. A brand new life, forgiveness of sin, sealed with the Holy Spirit, a bright future in Jesus' name, and a place reserved in heaven, an address with your name on it. And most of us have received that today. And there's some who have maybe played at it, but never sunk, have never really leaned in and dived, uh, dived into the reality of that. And so we find ourselves confused often or even just lost and rebellious, deceived because of that enemy tactic, a distraction. I want you to know today, the Bible says this could be your day of salvation. What does that mean? It means you get to a place where you realize you can't fix you. You can't fix your broken self. And so you just look to God and say, God, I, I'm broken. I'm sinful. And I can't make it right. And I feel this stirring deep within me. And I know it's got to be you. So God, I want Jesus and his gospel. His death for me. His burial for me. His resurrection for me. I want him, his plan to come and saturate my life. I give all of my brokenness to all of your perfection. Save me today. Forgive my sin. Help me live for you from this day throughout all of eternity. And I will give the praise and the glory to Jesus in his name.